across Europe, we can be routinely collecting information on new medicines, but also medicines that are used more rarely, but also polytherapy. Follow Homo sapiens. Do you fancy hearing about something positive? Well, in this week's Epilepsy Spots Insights episode, we have paediatric neuropsychologist and researcher Rebecca Bromley talk to us about research and international collaborations in regards to epilepsy medicine safety, aka pharmacovigilance. Rebecca talks about improving the lives of people with an epilepsy who are of childbearing age, and of course the babies and children themselves. Rebecca also speaks of providing greater choice regarding medications for other people with an epilepsy and the joyful funding side of things, which is an ongoing challenge. So I'm Rebecca Bromley. I'm a paediatric neuropsychologist um, and I work at Manchester University and also Royal Manchester Children's Hospital. And I have a bit of a split role within my post. So I um, work at Manchester Children's seeing children who have epilepsy themselves um, as part of the complex epilepsy pathway there. But then I guess what we're going to talk about today is much more aligned to my research work, which is around medicine safety, particularly medicine safety in pregnancy. And so we do a huge number of pieces of work looking to determine um, which medicines we can um, more confidently say have lower risks and can be used um, much more frequently um, for women or people in their childbearing years and which medications actually we would like to um, like for clinicians to have a more detailed conversation with women about because their risks could be higher. Because all we tend to hear um, as women or, or people with childbearing age is that you can't take sodium valproate or epilim um, and good luck with everything else. Um, and that's the overall uh, sort of message that many of us receive anyway. Tell us how your message differs and tell us about pharmacovigilance. Pharmacovigilance is just basically medicine safety. Um, and, it, you know, there are responsibilities around pharmacovigilance or medicine safety whenever a new drug gets approved. Now, what we would like to see is a much more improved medicine safety pathway for medicines because whilst we don't have information on them and we spend decades and decades waiting for that information actually like you just said people um who are kind of in their childbearing years are actually advised not to take these medicines because we don't know about them and actually some of these medicines could be the best ones to treat the epilepsy so yes i think we've all definitely been busy on valproate and that has has been depressing like you know the outcomes to do with valproate we can't get away from that and actually valproate shows is that we weren't fast enough you know it is an excellent drug for certain types of epilepsy right. but we can't get away from the fact that it has this risk profile for fetuses that are exposed what i'd like to change is how the time it takes to learn about those so we can then sort out which med medications may be more risky but which medications can be used with more confidence and then women and people who are in their childbearing years can can go to their doctors and can have these conversations and the doctor can say, right, we have all this information. These are the ones that are like to suit your epilepsy. And this is the, the information that we have about their relative safety um, kind of be, being used if you happened to conceive a child. And so that's kind of my aim really is that we really improve our pharmacovigilance um, around the anti-seizure medications to, to kind of reduce all of this difficulty that we see, which is really sort of induced by the fact that we have such a slow system at the moment. So everybody gets frustrated with the system because actually the data isn't there fast enough. And so I think we'd all feel a little bit more um, happy um, to use a very moderate word there if we could determine risk and benefit much faster. So what does an improved pharmacovigilance sort of world look like? a great question so i think 
it is on so it has to happen on so many levels so there are a number of ways that we can check out the safety of medicines so we can do it with um preclinical studies so animal studies um where we can look in mammals but also flies and, and other species to look if the medication carries an increased risk there mm-hmm. in humans the human research where i sit we can kind of do a few different things so the medicine regulators internationally and the pharmaceutical companies use what's called spontaneous reports so when a medication is released um if there is an adverse outcome in in my kind of world it, it's in the child so that the parent was taking the medicine and the child has a problem it gets reported spontaneously by the doctor to the medicine regulator or the pharmaceutical company and that works to an extent but better if you, you know if if you take medicine yourself and within three days you have a rash you go back to the person who prescribed you that medicine that tends to get reported a lot better where adverse event reporting tends to fail i think for want of a better word for um medicines that are used in pregnancy and then the off and the the outcomes in the offspring is you've got one person taking the medicine you then may have a 10-year delay and then the the person who's got the outcome is the child so it's a whole other different person and that adds so much complexity that actually we don't see adverse event reporting working as well as maybe it should do. So that's the kind of the way that the regulators and the pharmaceutical companies do it. Then we have two main research strategies. One is where we um, we recruit big cohorts of families where they're going through pregnancy and then we follow the children up. Um, and that's sort of predominantly what I've done for the last sort of 15-ish years in this and is my favourite because I get to go out and see the families. I think as I was messaging you, that's my favourite bit. I like to be in my car, going around the country, seeing the families. And we've got some great home visit stories over the years as well. And there we really, we tend to follow them up from pregnancy through to as long as the money will last. So usually we like to follow up into childhood. So these families will see us maybe when their child is one, three, and six and so it actually becomes part of their child's development and we take very careful notes and observations about how those children are developing about their physical health and that's how we learn about that then the third kind of type of study that we have is is much newer and that's because it services and infrastructure have moved forward and that we can use these large population data sets of routinely collected information to again look this is kind of looking back so you take all the children that were born where one of their parents maybe their mother and maybe their father was taking a medication and look at those children's outcomes and they're they're sort of fairly new over the last kind of 10 years and are going to have a real impact I think on how we research these so those are sort of the four strands we've got our animal and then we've sort of got three main strands within the human work as well and there are people all over the world working on this just not enough you know and that's again why things are so slow and are you working with other um bodies in other countries on this work or is it solely in the UK so everything we're doing at the moment is very much focused on um collaboration and so some of my current funding is from the Innovative Medicines Initiative, which is the EU pot of money. And we are working in a very big consortium called the Conception Consortium. And the task of that is to improve pregnancy pharmacovigilance. So not just for seizure medications, for any medications, improve how the animal studies and the human studies are done. It's a huge part piece of work. My little part of that is to set up 
a, a way that we can learn about the neurodevelopmental and the longer term outcomes more efficiently. So we have a, we're a bit faster at learning about any risks of the child being born with an immediate health problem. So maybe a birth defect or a congenital anomaly. We're much better at that because they're observable at the point of birth and can be reported fairly easily. Where we have even less information um, and which, you know, families tell us time and time again is what matters to them is about how that child develops later on. And so that's what I'm tasked with within this big European consortium is to improve the methodological approaches that we could use across Europe. And so what we've done is we've built something called the Lifetime Framework. And I'm really grateful. We've had kind of input from people with epilepsy, from neurologists, from uh, obstetricians, um, from neuropsychologists like myself, just everybody. It's been a huge, beautiful, collaborative piece of work. And what we're doing now is we're piloting it. So we're piloting it in the UK through the UK Epilepsy and Pregnancy Register. We've got colleagues in, in Norway and also um, in the Netherlands. There's a big pharmacovigilance unit called Larib in the Netherlands. And so we're testing this kind of framework. So it's a, it's a set way to follow up with set questionnaires, at set age points. And the idea there is if we're all doing the same thing, we can collect information about those rarer exposures much faster. So in the UK, we might have two ex exposures a year to a particular medication. Norway may have two, Larab may have two, et cetera. But yeah. we're trying to go for the snowball effect. So huge, huge focus is about this international collaboration. And if we can show it works in this pilot, and we've got a safe data space where we can bring all the data together that's GDPR compliant, the idea then is if we can make this work, then across Europe, we can be routinely collecting information on new medicines, but also medicines that are used more rarely, but also polytherapy as well. Because a big thing is that we're still struggling to learn about the individual monotherapies. But the reality is lots of people in their childbearing years will need to add a second or even a third medication in. And again, lots of questions get asked from, you know, the data. Well, what, what does that do in terms of risk to the developing baby? And we don't know. And so, again, by having this international collaboration where we're all doing the same thing, it allows us to start answering those harder questions. When you are uh, talking about recording multiple different drugs uh, or polytherapy. Are you looking at solely the anti-seizure medications or also other types of drugs that uh, a patient might be on? So many of us are on uh, like antidepressants, for instance. The framework that we're testing um, is designed to do any medications. Okay. And certainly our, our pilot site in the Netherlands, Larib, they're, they're just any, any women who sign up to their pharmacovigilance network is yeah, anyone. But actually because of... Of, of my background and my interest in anti-seizure medications, you know, both the UK pilot and the Norway pilot is focused on anti-seizure medications. How long do you think until we start getting, or maybe we, you've gotten some sort of results already, have you? And what sort of timescale are we looking at for more results? So the pilot will finish um, in about 14 months. Okay, not long. And that will just show us that we can, through the three different sites, recruit women, um, or people who are pregnant and follow them up, you know, and what we, we, we kind of touch base with them kind of during pregnancy, then at birth, then at three months, then at six months, then at 12 months. And so we'll get, we'll show feasibility, for example, can we keep contact with the women and also how best do we keep contact? And so again, there's a little piece of work there where we're asking um, the families that take part to reflect on what worked well for them. What do we need to change before we think about rolling this out? So we hope, you know, that, 
this is very similar to studies that we've done in the UK before. So we don't envisage this being too challenging and, and being something that we then abandon. We think actually it might need some tweaking, but then we should be ready to go. So then it's all about finding the right collaborators across Europe um, or even wider and also finding out how to fund it. So this is a challenge. So because we have to follow children up over such a long time. Right, takes money. Funding pots tend to be three years but, but it tends to be three years. Each grant tends to be three years. Five, if you're lucky, you get a good grant stream. But, you know, really for proper surveillance for these medicines, we probably need a good 10-year pot of money. And that doesn't exist. And so we are constantly in this cycle of trying to work out how to fund this, particularly if it becomes surveillance. And I think that will we'll need to broaden our horizons, really, and, and think about academic grant funding, but also think of other funding streams mm-hmm. as well. Um, whether that be through sort of regulators or pots of money that pharmaceutical companies need to put into because they have an obligation at point of license to do safety studies. Mm -hmm. And again, we'd really like to see an improvement in how they're done, the timelines for them being done. And also the fact that we probably need multiple types of studies being done simultaneously to get the answers a lot faster. So um, if anyone wants to get involved, what should they do to contact you, whether they be clinicians, families, whatever? So I think probably so my email address, um, I don't know if you can put that on the blog. Yep, sure, I'll put that on the website. Yeah, or um, Rebecca Bromley um, on Twitter. So I think it's Reb Bromley, R-E-B-B-R-O-M-L-E-Y. But yeah, absolutely. Um, And if if I can't help, I can certainly find somebody um, within the kind of the area that can. We are a fairly small group of researchers internationally that look at this so we sort of all tend to know each other and all tend to like working together which is also really fab brilliant thank you so much for joining us today it's been great to hear something positive about this situation and something productive which is going on that's a lovely warm feeling inside thank you thanks bye Thank you so much to Rebecca for a really positive, constructive spin on the situation regarding epilepsy medications and their impact on patients and children, emphasising the importance of both preclinical and clinical research. Oh, and the joy of sourcing funding. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.